Amen. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Because he does so much in us and through us, doesn't he? What a wonderful time to be together. Last week we talked about stewarding our time and talking about how important it is to invest time in our spiritual formation, being conformed to the image of Christ, being rebuilt to look more like what we were originally created to be in God's image. What a beautiful image, what a beautiful picture the scripture gives us about the progress of our life. And now talked about our internal life, what we are inside. And Jesus taught very plainly that out of the abundance of the inside, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He wasn't limiting himself to words. He was saying the life is lived. And so today we talk about what life looks like when we have been involved in the process of cultivating our spirit, cultivating our heart, turning ourselves more over to the power of God to transform us, to conform us to the image of Christ. The title of our talk this morning is uh, not actually correct, even though I wrote it, which sort of speaks for why it might not be right. But as I got into that passage, this passage more this week, it's really not so much about ethics as it is about integrity. Now, we talked earlier, back a few months ago, about these terms that we tend to all bunch up into one, ethics, morality, integrity. And, and I, I sorted through those terms in preparation for a course on, on uh, uh, ethics of leadership that I taught a number of years ago. And, and as you look carefully at those terms, the, the term ethic, the term ethic reflects more our internal sense, our our written, our espoused sense of what is right and wrong, good and bad, beautiful and ugly. It's what we say we believe. And when we say we're Christian, we have already spoken about our ethic. It's this. Okay? So we have an ethic. And then morality deals more with our lived out sense of what is right and wrong. I talk to you about my ethic. You look at me to discover my morality. Do I live my ethic? And to the extent that my ethics and my morality match, I have this thing called integrity, wholeness. It's integrated. And, and to the extent that my ethics says one thing and my morality says something else, I don't have integrity. There's a disconnect. And once again, when I claim to be a Christian, but I don't live as a Christian, I embarrass the church, and I embarrass God, and I embarrass myself. So this morning, I want to spend a few minutes talking about this business of, of, of integrity. And I think the best way to talk about it is to look at a picture. And we have a wonderful contrast between two people who had the same ethic, and one who followed that ethic, and his morality matched his ethic, and another one whose morality did not match his ethic, and so he lacked integrity. We're looking at primarily at Moses, and we're contrasting him a little bit with his brother named Aaron. The reason we look at Moses is, uh, of all the characters in the Bible, he illustrates this concept of integrity under pressure as well as anyone. 
Dewey Beagle, an Old Testament scholar who doesn't believe the Bible, but he's an Old Testament scholar anyway, wrote, as tradition claimed, Moses was indeed the greatest of the prophets, and as history shows, few of humanity's great personalities outrank him in influence. A great man, this man Moses. M.G. Kyle, in the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, wrote this about Moses. Moses, uh, the son born of the union of his parents, became the greatest man among mere men in the whole history of the world. And I've read others who have made a similar claim about Moses. After Jesus, Moses may well have been the greatest person who ever lived. An incredible man. Why? The book of Hebrews gives us some insight into this man, Moses. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, which would have made him the next Pharaoh. Instead, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He turned his back on the most powerful position on the planet in order to go and be a shepherd in the wilderness and eventually to lead God's people. The writer of Hebrews goes on, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Moses maintained his integrity because he followed God. This story we talk about is found in Exodus chapter 32. There are actually two stories that are very similar. Exodus 32, where the, uh, the uh, children of Israel built a golden calf and worshipped it while Moses was on the mountain getting the law. The other story is in Numbers chapter 14, where the uh, children of Israel were at the brink at Kadesh Barnea, ready to go into the land. They sent the 12 spies in. Ten of the 12 spies gave a bad report, and the people of Israel said, we can't trust God. There are giants in that land. And so they turned back. And in both cases, God was ticked off. That's a theological concept. You have to look that up in your theology book. God was furious because these people, after seeing all that he had done, all the ways he had displayed his power over and over and over again, refused to trust him. I want to look at the story in Exodus chapter 32. And I really would encourage you to turn there, there are pew Bibles, and follow along with this. The chapter begins, uh, well, let me give you the background. Moses had, uh, God had given the law, the 631 laws to Moses, and he had, from chapter 20 through 25, he had told these people what God's laws were. And then God called him back up on the mountain for another meeting. And this is where he got the tablets, the Ten Commandments, as we know them. And he was there for 40 days on the mountain. And when the first 30, chapter 32, verse 1, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Now, Aaron, he was not yet anointed high priest. That doesn't happen until chapter 40, right at the end of the book of Exodus. But he was Moses' brother. He was one of the leaders, one of the predominant leaders in Israel. And the people gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. 
Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings. Aaron took their earrings, melted them down, and made them a golden calf. And then he built an altar in front of it and said, Tomorrow we're going to worship God. Well, violating two of those commandments that they had so recently received. And so the next day, the people had a great party. It actually says that it was, it was almost like an orgy, the, the language. It was just a, 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 a horrible thing. Well, Moses was up on the mountain still, and the Lord came, verse 7, the Lord came to Moses and said, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. And they have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Wow. I mean, I, I could be the next Abraham. You're going to start all over, and, and I'm going to be the dude? Wow. That's a heady deal. What would you do? Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought up out of Egypt? See how rebellious these people were? God said to Moses, these are your people who you brought up out of Egypt. Moses said to God, no, no, not mine. They're your people who you brought up out of Egypt. God and Moses say, I don't want them. You got them. Kind of, kind of sad, isn't it? Moses said, no, thanks. No, thanks. He maintained his, his integrity. Well, the story goes on. Moses came down from the mountain, and uh, with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands, they were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. The scriptures tell us that Moses threw those clay tablets to the ground and shattered them, which was a custom in times as two nations or as people would make a treaty. They would engrave the terms of the treaty on these clay tablets. And if one member of the deal broke the covenant, broke the deal, the other would throw the thing down on the ground and shatter it to indicate you broke the deal. So in a sense, what Moses was doing is saying, you guys, you don't deserve God. Well, then he went to Aaron, verse uh, 22, uh, verse 21. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Now, here's one approach to our ethics. 
Aaron's approach. First, don't be angry, my Lord. Why are you so angry? It's only sin. It's only idolatry. They've only turned their back on you. What are you so angry about? Cool off. You know how prone these people are to evil. It's not my fault. It's their fault. It's bad people. It's like the professor who said, you just can't get good students anymore. It's like the doctor who's patient. You just can't get good patients anymore. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. It's not my fault, Moses. It's your fault. It's your fault. You should have come back earlier. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. They gave me the gold. I threw it into the fire. And out came this calf. Go figure. Golly. Must have been God's will. I had nothing to do with it. It's just circumstances of life. So he found every way he could to get rid of the responsibility because his morality violated his ethics. And even when he was caught in the trap, he still would not stand up and tell the truth. Now, this isn't a story about Aaron, I, I, this was a tremendous amount of pressure. I'm not making excuses for him. Um, why did Aaron do it? I don't know why Aaron did it. The Bible doesn't explain. God still anointed him as his high priest, forgave him, restored him. But that's not what the lesson is about. I really haven't found it necessary to teach people how to be bad. or myself, how to be bad. I spent very little time teaching my sons how to be bad boys. They figured that one out all on their own. <laughs> Most of the time, it's going in the other direction. So Aaron being human like me, I, I, I sort of get it. But the bigger question is, why would Moses, down here in verse 30, the next day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. But now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for you. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. So Moses, to the end of this story, maintained his integrity. He confronted the people. You guys blew it. You sinned. You committed a great sin. But I'm going to go and pray for you. Why did Moses maintain his integrity? He had the same pressure, or actually even more pressure on him than Aaron did. Because by the time Moses came, this thing had been unleashed. Moses, uh, Aaron at least could have sat down with the elders and said, this is wrong, we're not going to do this. But by the time Moses showed up, this thing was all, it was going. It was a, a riot. And he had to come in and quell the riot. What he did is he said, he, the scriptures tell us, he took the golden calf, he ground it to powder, sprinkled it on the water, and made the people drink it. 
there's one tough dude. So what Aaron couldn't do, Moses did double time. What is it with this guy Moses? What can we learn from this story that will help us under the pressure of wanting to violate our ethics, damage our integrity, because there's so much pressure on doing what we claim to believe. Well, first, I believe Moses maintained his integrity because he had an unquenchable commitment to his commission. Moses maintained his integrity because he had an unquenchable commitment to his commission. God said, Moses, these are your people. I'm making you their leader. I want you to take them out of Egypt, across the desert, and into the promised land. That's your commission. Take these enslaved people, journey them across their life into the new life. Sort of like our great commission. Go and make disciples. People who are lost, introduce them to Christ, nurture them along, until they enter into glory. You do quite a bit of that, don't you, Darla? Helping people. That's what it's about. And Moses said, God himself, God himself at that burning bush gave me this commission. So Moses defended his people in their worst moment. God said, I'm ready to give up on them. We go back to chapter 32, verse 9 through 11. Let's look at that again. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they're stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses said, sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. He reminded God, these are your people. He prayed for them. Now, God didn't forget that these were his people. And it actually says, after Moses' prayer for them, that God relented. It's one of the very problematic passages in the Scripture. How does God repent? Well, the word there isn't the shuv, the normal word to turn around. It's, it's, it's a, a word that refers more to, uh, to uh, responding to someone else's response. Over and over again, it says, I will, for instance, I will destroy Nineveh if they don't turn to me. That was God's proclamation. When Nineveh repented, God relented. God said, because of their response, I change my response. Pretty heady stuff. Moses was able to pray in such a way that God believed he would lead these people to repentance. He didn't abandon his people. Moses didn't. Even when he was offered this tremendous opportunity. He said, my ethic is to follow the commission that God gave me. And nothing 
Nothing will turn me away from it. Moses defended his people in their worst moment, and Moses offered to pay the penalty for his people's sin. Verses 30 through 34, this is an amazing uh, passage here, verse 30. The next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but I will go up and pray for you. And he said, Lord, if you can forgive these people, forgive their sin, but if not, blot me out of the book. You say, what do you mean blot you out, Moses? You were on the mountain with God. You had nothing to do with that. You were up there praying. You were face to face with God while these people were sinning. And you're saying blot me out of the book when you're innocent? Moses said, God commissioned me to lead these people. I appointed someone who wasn't qualified. I'll take the hit. It's my responsibility. Lord, I will die for these people, even though I am innocent. That sound familiar? You remember this guy named Jesus? So Moses here is a model of our own Savior, who said, I will take the penalty. I have an unquenchable commitment to my commission. The principle is our integrity is in danger when our integrity is all that matters. Let me say that again. Our integrity is in danger when our integrity is all that matters. When it's all about me. When the only thing that's driving my integrity is what am I going to get out of it? Well, I look bad if I get caught. It's all about me. And that was Aaron. What's the easiest way out? What's the quickest way out? What's the safest way out? I'll just give them what they want. Yeah, it's sin, but hey, I got to preserve my position here. And so his integrity went down in flames because all he cared about was his integrity. Our integrity is safe when our integrity belongs to the Christian community. As a Christian, my life isn't just about me. I am part of the body of Christ. You and I belong to each other. Galatians 6 says, if a brother is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, restore. Bring them back. Heal them. James says, confess your sins to one another. You need each other. See, my integrity is not just a matter of me. If I go out and do some terrible thing, it reflects on this whole church. We had a member of our church in Austin who was divorcing his wife to marry his secretary. We talked with him a number of times, tried to get him to, dis to dissuade him. Finally, we told him he had to resign his position as a deacon in the church, and he, had to, he could not take communion in our congregation. He could come, he could attend, but we could not treat him as a believer because he was acting as an unbeliever. It's kind of a scandal. It was a little, sort of an inbred little town there outside of Austin, Texas, Westlake Hills. People talked about this guy. He was a very prominent citizen, a very prominent Christian. But it got worse when two months later, 
He was sworn in as a deacon at another church. I used to have breakfast with three other men. Two of them were not Christians. And we used to have some interesting conversations. You should have heard the conversations. It came up around that about the f what a phony thing the church is. What a crazy, phony thing Christianity is when this guy could just go down the street and go to another church and it's like he didn't do anything wrong. You see, my, your integrity and mine is not just a matter of us. We are part of a Christian community. And, and, and Moses said, I'm part of this body. These are my people. I have a commission from God to live a life that reflects him. And secondly, Moses maintained his integrity because he had an unquenchable loyalty to his Lord. And here I want to go to the other story in, in Numbers 14, because first we see in that story about Moses that Moses was concerned that his actions would make God look weak if he did the wrong thing. This is Numbers chapter 14, verse 12, the same offer, I will strike them down, God said to Moses, after they refused to trust him and enter the land, God said to Moses, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. So once again, the offer and Moses' response was, you put all the, if you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath, so he slaughtered them in the wilderness. If you kill these people, Lord, it's going to look bad for you. So I'm not going to take the offer. Because I don't want anybody to think that you are weak, that you couldn't do what you said. My integrity reflects on you. And secondly, Moses was concerned that his actions would not reflect God's strength, verses 17 through 19. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed. Just as you have declared, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sins of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. Lord, show your strength. If I take the offer, if I do the wrong thing here, people won't see just what kind of a God you really are. Show your strength. And what was God's strength? Your love. Read it. It's right there. The Lord's strength be displayed in accordance with your great love. Forgive their sins. That you are big enough to forgive. That your love is the great display of your power. Moses was concerned that his actions would not reflect God's grace and truth. As God's stewards, we are part of a Christian community. Our ethics has to be bigger than we are. It has to be part of the community. But also, our integrity is in danger when it's limited to our own ethic. Moses said, I'm not doing what I do because I think it's right. I didn't make this stuff up. I just spent 40 days on the mountain with you. I know what's right and wrong. My 
ethics are deeply rooted in your truth. If I make up my own ethics in a world of subjective relativism where, well, it all depends. It may be right for you and it may not be right for someone else. Moses said, no, 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 no. I don't make this up as I go along. My ethics are rooted in God's eternal word. And therefore, my morality must reflect my ethics. Because not only am I part of this Christian community, I represent the living God. When you name the name Christian, you have placed yourself under an enormous privilege to say, my life helps people understand that not only is God not weak, but that God is strong. And he's strong toward us because of his love. And he is so strong toward us that he sent his son to die in our place. It says in John 1.14 of Jesus Christ that he is full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Grace says forgive. Truth says you violated. We must maintain truth. Grace says but we must maintain love. And the only place in the universe that grace and truth came together was on the cross of Jesus Christ. And our message is to proclaim this truth to the world. We are under an awesome, awesome commission. Moses maintained his integrity because he had an unquenchable commitment to his commission. Life isn't about me. Life is about my service to Christ. And Moses maintained his integrity because he had an unquenchable loyalty to his Lord. He knew his God, he knew what his God taught, and he was committed to live it out. Let's stand together as pastor does the benediction. At the conclusion of the service, we'll have our Stephen's ministers here in the front to be able to pray with you and for you. And we thank you for being here in worship today. Lord, thank you that we are your representatives, that we are part of a community, a community of Christ, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And that what we do reflects on ourselves, but also on each other. So I pray, Lord, that as we have been commissioned by you to be witnesses to the world, that we will be faithful. And we have been called to be your servants, your stewards, to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I pray that we will represent you well in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.